Listen, if you dare, to the Lovecraft tapes. Detective Mike Duggan stood in the middle of the dirt track, trying to ignore the light rain, making soft pitter-patter noises on the top of his plastic-wrapped police-issue cap, while the low rumble of thunder in the distant hills promised a heavier downpour in the next hour. He lit a cigarette, inhaling bitter smoke along with the already humid early morning air, then rubbed his eyes as the dust beneath his recently shined black leather boots turned slowly to mud. Behind him, illuminated by strobe lights, the rank and file were busy collecting evidence and taking close-up photos while the medics tried to figure out which piece should go in which body bag. Mike didn't think it mattered much. The rain would wash it all away, soon enough. Anything left? Well, the critters could take care of that, he supposed. He drew in one last lung-rattling inhalation of the cancer stick, then stubbed it out, less than halfway consumed. Just last week, He'd pledged to his wife he would quit soon. Today seemed like a good day to start. Focus, Mike. He admonished himself. Stick to the facts. Fact. A week ago, almost two dozen kids arrived at Camp Mulholland. Earlier this morning, less than a dozen escaped on a bus, most of them traumatized and telling conflicting stories about monsters in the woods. Fact. The camp roster listed Brigitte Miller as one of the attending teens. But that couldn't be right. Her badly decomposed corpse had been discovered the day before yesterday almost 60 miles away. Brigitte had reportedly been kidnapped a couple of weeks ago, though she was found shortly thereafter. Both she and her brother Nicky were not among the survivors on the bus and were now presumed missing. Fact. Camp Mulholland had a history of strange occurrences over the decades, including murder, missing persons, and a general perception in the community of being cursed. Unconsciously, Mike brought out another cigarette, but didn't bother lighting it. It sagged between his lips like an unanswered question. He thrust his hands into his pockets and turned his attention toward the lake in the distance down the hill. The surface was slate gray, a chaos of ripples wrought by the rain that seemed only to get heavier 
with each passing moment. In the middle floated a raft, the corners scorched and blackened. Against the far shore was a single empty canoe, its metallic structure likewise fire-blasted. Fireworks? Yeah, he seemed to recall testimony from one of the survivors. If it weren't for the missing kids and that thing in the road behind him, this whole deal sounded a lot like a prank gone awry. Sighing, he whirled on his heel and trudged back to where Garrus, the deputy coroner, crouched near the remains. The man held an inappropriately cheerful golf umbrella, patterned yellow and blue, like a big top circus tent, to protect him from the downpour, but the haunted look in his eyes belied his unease at the situation. Anything useful? Mike asked. Garrus shot him a sidelong glance and grimaced. Useful? Maybe to science, but I doubt it's going to advance your career. What do you mean? The coroner produced a pencil with a rubber eraser on it, which he pointed toward the pile of gore in the road. What we have here are two people. Two of the missing people, according to preliminary reports. Mike nodded. Tammy Brecht and Peter Robinson. Yes, Garris concurred. According to eyewitnesses, they ran out in front of the bus and were struck dead instantly. So? Mike suddenly realized the unlit cigarette was still bobbing up and down in his mouth as he talked. Disgusted, he threw it into the mud and ground it beneath his boot. So, so take a closer look, detective. The coroner leaned in toward the mass of flesh and blood and bone, almost touching one particularly gnarly clump with his pencil eraser. You see that? That's ox coxi. Mike shook his head. Speak English, Doc. Ox coxi. Uh, literally, bone of the hip. Doc, could you spare me the Latin lesson? Mike looked into the forest as if for answers, and thought he saw something move between the trees. Something furtive. A face? He stared hard for a few more seconds in that direction, but detected nothing else as Garrus rambled on. It's called the girdle, but where the spine meets and where our legs essentially sprout. Uh, this one is shattered almost entirely, which is to be expected after being run over by a vehicle as large as a school bus, but there are anomalies here and here. Mike looked to where the other man indicated. Anomalies? Yes, Garris said thoughtfully. 
This one indicates where the femur had been attached, only the girdle bone is deformed and not by any damage done by the accident. There's evidence of natural metamorphic changes, which somehow resulted in... His voice trailed off. What? Mike was losing his patience. The deputy coroner blinked up at the detective, confusion racking his features. This body had four legs, he said quietly. Mike glared back as if the man were mad. Garrus recoiled, sputtering. I, I, I know that sounds wrong somehow, but I can assure you it's medically accurate. He took a deep breath, as if wrestling with the incongruity of his statements. Anyway, the second anomaly is even more plain. His pencil eraser moved toward a pair of truncated, ribbed, ivory fragments sprouting from the same planchette of ruined pelvic bone. Cold realization crept into Mike's brain, even before the coroner could elucidate. This thing seems to have had four legs, so it only makes sense that it had two spines as well. Garrus swallowed hard, his throat clicking loudly in the silence. He stood, putting his pencil away, then motioned toward a pair of nearby techs. They moved in slowly, with their rubber-gloved hands holding thick, black, zippered bags. The deputy coroner exchanged one last wordless look with the detective before shambling towards his van. Mike Duggan watched the medical team continue their collection of the remains for a few minutes, then walked likewise solemnly back to his car, already thinking about the report he'd have to write back at the office. He'd keep it simple, boil it down to the facts, as long as the facts fit the case. If Garrus wanted to bang the drum over these anatomical flukes, more power to him. Mike couldn't afford to get tangled up in anything weird right now. Any whiff of the inexplicable might taint his chances at the promotion waiting for him out east. No, better to stick to the facts. Keep it simple. As simple as possible, anyway. Then he and his wife could seriously start planning their move to that small town just north of Boston. Before he drove away from Camp Mulholland, he thought he saw through the rain-spattered windshield, that face again, peeking from around a pine. Pale, ageless, hair the shade of blood oranges. 
Then the wipers cleared the glass, and there was nothing, no one. For just a moment, Mike felt profoundly, unutterably sad. He shivered behind the wheel, stepped on the gas, and hoped the weather in Arkham would be an improvement.
The Lovecraft Tapes podcast is copyright 2023. For more information and sponsorship opportunities, please send email to podcast at thelovecrafttapes.com. Support the Lovecraft Tapes podcast and get access to exclusive content and rewards at patreon.com slash lovecrafttapes.